Uh, hello, everybody. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. All religions have love in them. All of them. For instance, quote from one religion. This is, we're going to play a game called Name That Religion. Every good act is charity. You're smiling in your brother's face. You're putting a wanderer on the right road. You're giving water to the thirsty or exhortations to others to do right. A man's true wealth hereafter is the good that he has done in this world to his fellow man. When he, <coughs> when his, uh, when he dies, people will ask, what property has he left behind him? But angels will ask, what good deeds has he sent before him? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Hindu is not correct. Good deeds in heaven come before you. All right. Uh, that's uh, Muhammad said that. That's Islam. All right. <clears throat> we'll see how spiritual you are. You're like, I don't know anything about Islam. Now, if I hadn't preempted that with this is not Christianity, I wonder how many of us would have said, you know, but it, it's vague enough that it could be. Um, but what we find in Mohammedism or Islam is that those good deeds that are going before you are earning your way into heaven uh, as all other religions are. As Keith, you mentioned Hinduism. You have to perform good deeds and have a good life. And if you don't, you're reincarnated as a bug or something. And then you have to be a good bug and build your way up again. So how is the love of Christianity different? Well, for one, the first thing that came to my mind was Christ on the cross. Uh, no religion has that. The God of the universe, and in 2 Corinthians it says that God was in him reconciling the world to himself. So we don't understand how God can be judged and die. I don't even get into that. Just know that Christ, the Son of God, suffered judgment and death for his enemies. That is the love of Christianity. But there's another aspect that we're going to look at today to the love of Christianity. Because as we, as we read here from Muhammad, it's charity, smiling at your brother's face. I mean, even if Muhammad said smiling in your enemy's face, um, it has similarities to Christianity. Just like the world's love does. But what um, we have, what another thing that was, we'll see this today in Christianity is that when we do the things that we do, we do them with nobility. Um, we do them because we love to do them. We're not after anything. You know, we're not earning. Not only are we not earning our way into heaven, we're not looking for anything from anyone, because love just does. And we're not earning this love. God gave it to us as a free gift. His love was given to every one of us. We have it. So we're going to start in, uh, let's see. I guess I don't know. Romans 5. And uh, let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time together. Let's thank Him for His Word that we can 
time and time again, search into His Word. We're, every time we do, we're looking into the mind of God as we long to know more things come from it to us. So as we turn to God's Word, we want to be humble and reverent. We want to be searching. We want to have minds that are after not just any tr- all truth. We want to know the ins and outs and the deep things of God. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for You and and Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your love that has sent Him and His love who agreed to it to become a man, to take such a deep step downward from infinite God to finite man and to live in the limitations of mankind, to offer Himself to suffering and death, to be judged for our sins. So that we who have nothing to offer you could actually receive everything from you. What more could we receive, Father, than your life? All the things, the trinkets, the materials, the wealth, the power, the things that people are killing themselves over are meaningless compared to just having your life. All of eternity will know this and see this. We pray now and today that we, your children, see it. Because if we do see it, we will do the things that you command us to do. And not just do them grudgingly, but to do them with joy, with honor, with virtue, with integrity, and loving to do it. We ask, Father, for your insights through Christ our Lord. In his name we pray and the Holy Spirit's guidance. In their name, in his name, sorry. Amen. So, um, this nobility aspect, it is something that the world lacks greatly. The, uh, the world's lacking people who, for instance, always behave appropriately, nobly, honorably, virtuously. Just uh, behaving yourself in a proper manner in all situations to all people. And I do mean all people. I mean the, the people who are uh, the worst of the worst and the best and everything in between. Uh, Such people used to inspire the public. You know, our heroes, I'm listening to this book about the Apollo mission, which is fascinating to me. Um, The the astronauts, which were a bunch of nerdy engineers, used to be the heroes of America. But now, people's heroes and the public are something else. People don't really care too much for that. It's not flashy and shiny anymore because, well, for, honestly, people don't see the value of it anymore. A lot of people don't. Many people still do. But agape is something that is in us going to make us, well, as we, as we live what God has given us that we will lay down our lives in service to others while we maintain our integrity and our honor. Meaning that it will not be, I'm going to serve you complainingly, or I'm going to serve you grudgingly, or nor am I going to, I'm going to serve that weak sinner, but I'm not going to come down to a sinful level or let their sin get into my soul and make me bitter or angry or fearful. That's not noble. 
What is noble is the ability to stand strong, to be strong, even when dealing with the smallest of circumstances. It is the ability to love. It's love as God loves. And the reason why we have this is because God gave it to us. So agape is not just the ability to do good stuff. It's doing good with honor and virtue and integrity. Every believer in Jesus Christ has to, is made to be just like the Lord. We are that. He has given us his life. God has given us divine seed. We saw that this week in 1 John 3, 9, that we have a seed in us that's divine. God has made us new creatures. We'll see that today. That as this new creation, we no longer serve ourselves. And why is that? It's because that's what the life is. You know, this is what God is. And this is the life that he's given us. He hasn't made us gods. He has made us humans that, with a divine life. And not a divine spark. You know, there's all kinds of terminology that's incorrect. The life itself that you and I are is divine. That makes us gods. It means that what we are in Christ and he's in us. Uh, Jesus said that you have the spirit in you and flowing through you be rivers of living water. There's a nature. Your nature is uh, unboundedly wanting to do what it is created to do. And that is to be one who loves, not just better than other people do, but to do it as Christ does it, to do it as God does it. With honor, nobility, with wisdom, with strength, with courage. And all of that mixed in with humility and meekness. Imagine all of that together in me. And that is just it. So a lot of people say, well, agape, right? Is it loving God or is it loving man? It's the wrong question. Because then you're, you're limiting me to saying, well, it's one or the other. What agape love is, is God's love. That's all it is. I say, all it is. God's love is something else. (laughs) Agape in the New Testament has a value and significance of its own. It's independent because God is love. Who is God dependent on? Nobody. Does God need an object to love? It's a good question, isn't it? Say, well, yeah, yeah, he does because that's why there's a trinity. No. No. I mean, there is a trinity, and therefore God the Father can love the Son, and the Son can love the Father in, in, in you know, all three ways around. But God is love. He doesn't need an object. This is the love of God in us. It's ready to go, whether there's an object or not. So when I'm alone, I'm agape. When I'm in a crowd, I'm agape. When I'm with the person on the street who's starving and needs my help, I'm agape. When I'm with someone who needs nothing at all, when I'm in need, I'm agape. Agape just is. So today, we're going to learn how to act. This is a fun one. I, I just, 
Out of the definition of Paul's definition of agape, he uses 15 different verbs. 15, and we're just going to pick two. And today we'll see, we couldn't do all 15. This, uh, one of the things that I learned in this study is that so often we say Paul says love is kind, love is patient. And we do the whole thing and we ramble through it so quick that we never stop and really learn what the things are. You have to slow down and spend some time. Today we're going to see that agape acts properly to all people in all situations and that it never seeks itself. Agape is God's love. And he gave it to us along with his life. And we should really put that in order. God gave us his life and his life is agape. So that's why you have it. It's not like a virus that's in you. It's not like an injection. You have God's life. You have been made that. You are indwelt by God. You have God's life. You're a new creature in Christ. And therefore, you have God's love. It's there. It's you. So the problem is that we have so much opposition and temptation in our flesh. Our stupidity is a big problem. Our ignorance of things. And uh, all of that has... So all that's doing is, is me... It's causing me not to live in who I am uh, when I'm um, really a slave to the flesh. So that's what we have to get over. It's the whole point, you know, of of this Christian life is getting us to be an action, what we are in position. And, uh, you know, God gave us this life. So, and I have to say it, we all know it, but have we earned this life? Was there like good people on earth that God said, ooh, those are nice people, I'm going to give them my life. Uh, nobody has earned a thing here. It is all the superabounding love of God. And so when it comes to my loving others, and this we see in the history of at least the writing about love, after we leave the apostles and we go to that next generation, and then the generation after that, we get to like 200, 300, 400 A.D. And the agape of the Bible starts to lose itself. And it starts to lose itself in a confusion in people's minds about how alien it is to human love. And so what happens is that people go back to like legal things and eros love or Greek theories of love and they kind of mix that all with agape and then they make something that it's not. And we must not divert. Even if we say, you know what? I don't understand this at all. Great. That is not a problem. Lack of understanding is not a problem. What is the problem is when we don't understand and then we just say, all right, I'm just going to accept this because it makes sense and then I'm going to say I understand. And if you don't understand and you accept things that are not true, then you'll never understand. If you're telling yourself, I know that. I know what God's love is. And if you don't, then when are you going to learn it? And you never will. So the, the not knowing is not the problem. The problem is altering it. I think out, out of all things, it's, love is the chief, right? It's the one. It's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Paul will write that love is eternal. Where the, and it, it's the other gifts, Paul said. The other gifts, all the spiritual gifts, they're nothing 
without agape. They just don't work. How important is this? And, and it, it's so important, and yet I think it is the thing that is mostly um, altered. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't exactly lose itself entirely, but it gets lost in the human ideas of what love should be. And that's what we have to avoid. Right? And the first thing to know is, look, and it's something you already know, but it must stay as a foundation, that God gave me this love, and because I have it, I'm not, you know, I have eternal life, I have God's love, I have His life, I'm not earning anything. When I serve you, am I saying, look, God, did you see that? What am I going to get? Who said this? This is going to be a quiz night, okay? <laughs> Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will be for us? That is Peter, of course. Well, you know, any anything in the anybody in the Gospels that says something fairly dumb, that's, yeah, ninety-nine percent of the time it's Peter. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What's in it for us? You know what Jesus said after that? He said, "You'll be rewarded a hundred times." And you'll inherit eternal life. And Peter's like, sweet. I don't know if he said that. but. And then the Lord says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. And then immediately after that, he tells the parable of the vineyard owner. The people who worked all day and got paid the same amount of the people who worked an hour. The la- and at the end of that parable, he says it again. The last will be first. What the Lord is saying to us, what he's saying to Peter, which Peter would come to know later on, is that we already have our reward. Right? You have God's life. You have his love. There is nothing greater. You know, it's like saying, God, what do you have? Did God, you, can you imagine God saying, hey, come and look at all my gold. Come and look at all my silver. Uh, come and look at me. You know, he doesn't do this. What he does is say to us, the human race, look at my love, look at my grace, look at my righteousness, look how beautiful and wonderful I am. We're not beautiful and wonderful, but what we have is God's life. There's nothing better than this. And to have God as your Father who is going to plan your life meticulously and and to your blessing, now we get in the way of all of that because we don't trust Him for it. But if we'll just trust Him and say, look, my whole life is in your hands. Whatever your will is, Father, I will do. And that's loving Him. And agape is used for that as well. Not near as much as for others, but it still is used for that. Because agape is God's love. And we have it. So we already have our reward. And therefore, it's not necessary to ask every time the word agape occurs, occurs, to whom is this love directed? I mean, yeah, we look at, of course, just read the sentence. You'll see the object eventually. But agape is just primarily God's own love. And it was given to us. Look at Romans 5.5. Hope does not disappoint. 
because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I see there's, there's something there indicating, love, you know, we say love towards whom or is this mature love or this love, you know, and all our, our questions are meaningless because it's just as stated as a simple fact, although not so simple, is that the love of God has been, uh, the King James would say, shed abroad or poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so at salvation... When we receive the Spirit of God, we receive the life of God, and therefore we receive the love of God. You know, and the love of God needs knowledge. It, it needs knowledge to function. Right? You've got to know what to love and what not to love. You've got to know what legitimate love is and not be fooled by the stuff that is not God's love. So we have to have knowledge. But as we'll see today, that knowledge, if we think knowledge is more important than the love that it's supposed to mature, then we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, Knowledge is necessary, but love is more important. So people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't say that. Of course I can say that. I just said it. But love is more important because love is the application of it. I'm not saying that don't have knowledge. You need as much knowledge as you can possibly get. But a lot of people have stood on their knowledge and not done what they're supposed to do, what the situation and the person called for, because they were arrogant about their knowledge. Knowledge that was true, but falsely applied. The life of God is therefore, or thereby, so we have God's love poured out within us, And now the life of God that he has made us has taken possession of our innermost being. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Having God's life, we now live in Christ. And Christ lives and works in us. We're controlled. Controlled. Well, this word actually means to be constrained. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Right? Does that mean we're robots? Well, obviously not. But the love of Christ, it constrains us. It controls us. So I say, well, you know, the flesh says do this. In my heart, I say, you know what? That's not of love. I'm not going to do that. The flesh says, say this. Say this thing of bitterness. Say this sarcastic thing. Break out in your anger. You deserve it. And then we say, wait. No. And see, what I'm talking about there is the temptation. It always does. The temptation of the flesh rises and we're like, "Uh uh-uh. No. Go away. Because I know the love of God. I am the love of God. I have the love of God. And therefore, the love of Christ controls us. Why does it do this? Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all die. I'm no longer alive. Resurrected, yeah, but my old nature is dead. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You see, if I'm dead, and uh, yet I'm resurrected in him, then who must be the center of my life? Well, it can't be me anymore. 
the me who was the center of my universe has been killed. But that's not the end of my story. The story continues with my own resurrection in Christ. And therefore, the life that I have, I no longer live for myself. So Paul would write in Galatians 2.20, such a great verse. It's not I that lives, but Christ lives in me. We're led by the Spirit. All who belong to God are led by the Spirit. Romans 8.14 And then in Jesus said in John 7, speaking of the Holy Spirit to come, He said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What does that mean? Love's nature is of such a quality that it cannot be dammed up. I cannot stop it. I can fight it, and a lot of Christians do, and they're miserable because of the fight, but they can't stop the agape, the love of God within them that wants to reach out. It convicts their souls. It uh, aggravates them. It, It makes them uncomfortable. And all God is saying through all of this agitation that Christians have, I think for years of how I've lived in it, that God is saying, just give me your will. And then all of this will go away. You know, when planes approach the sound barrier, the reason why there's the plane starts to shake is because as the nose of the plane is reaching the speed of sound, the sound waves are building up on the nose. So the waves, the sound wave is building up, building up, building up. But as soon as the plane breaks through, there's a boom, right? Sonic boom. It's because all of those sound waves, they store energy, they burst. And you hear the boom. And then the plane, and now all the sound waves are behind the plane. Chuck Yeager is the guy to break the sound barrier. He had no idea what was, they didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of the sound barrier. You know, the whole plane going to blow to bits. Yeager didn't know, but he was going for it. And when he broke this plane, uh, the sound barrier, it's just as quiet and as smooth much more than it is when you're approaching it. And, you know, it's a nice illustration for how as, you know, as we're resisting the Holy Spirit, as we're resisting the love of God, as we're resisting the commandments in the Word of God, and our souls are agitated, and our lives are agitated, and we're not happy. And God says, just give me your will. Oh, and we all fight it. But then when we hand it over... Smooth sailing. All the time? No, of course, you're a sinner. (laughs) You take it all back. You do. But you get smarter. You get much smarter at it. You say, oh, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you know, what happens is at some point in the Christian, and this is what God is all building us up to through all of this instruction that he's saying, look, go to my promised land. It's another great illustration of the 12 spies going into the land and seeing all the fortified cities and the big people and their fierce armies and saying, we can't do, there's no way we can take it. 
And God is just saying, look, just go in. I got you. Just go. Do my will. And, then, and after we've done this, we recover more quickly. So go to 1 Corinthians 13. This very famous passage. Four through seven. Um, and this here is God's love described in 15 different items. Um, we often look at these items as adjectives. Love is, and adjectives are attributive, meaning that they describe the attribute of a noun. And, uh, but, however, Paul doesn't use adjectives. He uses verbs. They're all verbs. And so by using verbs, he could have used adjectives. Uh, you know, love is, you can have an object there, and that object can be a noun, but Paul doesn't use a noun, he uses verbs. And <coughs> the verbs, <coughs> excuse me, depict to us the fact that love is an action. All right, so getting back to our opening. What's, why is the love of Christianity different? <clears throat> These acts are to all. Right? Tell that Mohammedan, let's say even within their own religion, tell that Shiite to love that Sunni. <laughs> no way. Tell that is that, you know, uh, uh, Mohammedan to love that Jew. Tell them to do good to those that they say are their enemies. Do the same to any other religion. And, and tell them that, look, all of this that you sacrifice will do for you nothing. Nothing. Say, so, wait a minute, wait a minute, I get rewards for this. right? And, and, and it's funny, and uh, not to pick on... Islam, all that's not the point of my story, but <clears throat> everything that they can't do on earth, they're rewarded with in heaven. So we find in heaven that they drink all the booze that they want, and then they get all the virgins, and they can sleep with all the women they want, and all that. Right? You're not supposed to do that stuff on earth, but you get it in heaven? <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, <clears throat> but for us, you know, the reward is in the doing. If I say, right, what did Peter say? We have left everything to follow you. What is in it for us? Let me tell you a parable. Because Peter, you are going to work the 14-hour day. i got plans for you, buddy. And they ain't going to be easy. And then there's going to be others who are going to work the one-hour day. And they're going to be just as blessed as you are. Get used to it. That is my love. We say, well, that's not fair. Exactly. But right? Doesn't it make you a little agitated? As a believer who's striving to live the Christian life, we're striving, we're striving, and then we, we so easily judge others who are not, and we put them down, and we say, get with it, bub. And we judge them. 
rather than saying in our own selves, thank God we get it. Thank God I can serve the Lord. I would actually love to work the 14-hour day. Thank you, Lord, because working with you is marvelous. Remember, the guys who only worked one hour are hanging out in the, the square hoping somebody will hire them. They're not doing anything. But what does it mean to work for the Master? What does it mean to be a steward in His house? What does it mean to serve the Lord as an unworthy slave? It's the most marvelous thing that there is. And yet, still, in our minds, we can consider it in a legal fashion like Peter did, what's in it for me? And God says, i got a lot for you. I really do. I have a lot of things for you. But you must understand that the blessings that you have are me. You have me. There's nothing better than me. So go and do. And do it with joy. Do it with honor. Do it with integrity. And forget about the rewards. They're coming. But if all you're thinking about is how it's going to elevate me, that's the wrong love. There's a kind of love in Greek that is that, what I just described. And it's called eros. It was used by all the philosophers. You don't find the word at all in the New Testament. All right. So, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That, uh, that all things is one Greek word, panta. And so you would see in the sentence, if you're looking at the Greek sentence, it's panta, 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 panta. Right? It's almost like a, like a, uh, a machine gun, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's repetitive on purpose. I went through this and wondered about the order uh, before I consulted any commentaries this time around. And I think to myself about the order, and I wonder, and even if some of these, some of them lean more towards God, some of them, and you can definitely group them. Uh, you know, I can see how love, uh, sorry, patience and kindness would go together. And the ones that we're going to look at today, which is acting unbecomingly and seeking yourself. That's what seeking your own is not like a friend. Seeking, it's seeking self. And put that with jealousy uh, and, you know, it's, it's how we treat others. And actually, in this case, it's how do we see ourselves in the sea of others? Uh, for a lot of people with, within the population, within the people that are around, it's competitive Right? I'm going to be better and smarter and faster, whatever I'm going to be, than you. I'm going to be better than you. Or it's, um, you know, seeking in terms of lust. I want what you have. That's jealousy. 
or I want what you have, which is, you know, passion. I, I want, you know, I want from you something that's going to satisfy my flesh. And, or I hate you, and so I'm going to, you know, you did wrong to me. And love says, I don't even remember that anymore. Doesn't take into account means I don't remember. Now, of course, can I erase my memory of that terrible thing you did to me? Well, probably not. But when it comes up, have I truly put that in the Supreme Court of Heaven? Or is it in my court? Yeah, when it comes to that, the ball is never in my court. So, one of the themes that jumps out from this, again, 15 verbs, is an absolutely absolute rejection of egotism. Self. See, in the love of all the other religions and the love of man and the love of philosophers, even romantic love, we're always searching for something. For instance, in Greek, eros, love, is... Now, who's the... Uh, the little Greek, um, I, I forgot to look it up. I don't think he's a god. Maybe he is. But that little dude flying around with his bow and arrow, right? Yeah, it's him. Is it a him or a her? I forgot to, I forgot to look it up. I lo- I'm, I'm so kicking myself, too, because I have a marvelous book on Greek mythology, and I love reading it. I just love the stories. But Cupid, right? That's Eros love. Cupid is trying to hook people up, get them in love, and people want to be in love. Right? I want, oh, being in love, it's so awesome. Right? Well, thank God we're not young anymore. Uh, if somehow that just all goes away with, with wisdom. But, uh, you know, oh, I just want to be in love. I want to be in love. But what happens when I'm rejected by the one that I love? Cupid, get him, right? What the, uh, Cupid doesn't do that. But remember, Cupid has a bow and arrow. He's ready to conquer. That's what he's doing in all the Greek stories. But see, the stories are marvelous because the stories are written about, written by smart people about the state of people's souls. And in people's souls, they want to. What is the suitor? The suitor who wants to conquer the woman, what does he want? He wants her soul for his own. And even if he does good to her, you know, and takes care of her and and all of this, but he really wants her, that, and it exists at some level. There's nothing wrong with it. There wouldn't be children in this world (laughs) if it weren't real. But that is not what agape is. They don't even come from the same land. Agape is something completely different, although it has similarities. But its source is different. The love from God does not seek to conquer. Does it? Oh, it just brings to mind what Jesus said about why he came into the world. I didn't come to rule the world. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to seek and to save the lost. So, 
egotism. Love does not act unbecomingly. We're going to look at that one. I say, Joe, that doesn't make any sense. You should start with patience. Yeah, I thought about this, but be patient. <laughs> no. Um, when when do you need patience? Is there an order? Do you learn patience? And then you're like, okay, I'm ready for patience, God. And then and then I'm kind. Then I learn kindness. I'm ready for kindness. God. No, there's. I don't see it. Paul uses an order here for any reason at all. Because at different times we're going to need them. So for some people who listen to this message, this don't act unbecomingly is going to be pertinent, so pertinent to their current lives. And for us, we may need it a year from now. I don't know. But at some point, we're going to need it. So this, uh, you know, analyzing the words that are used here, love doesn't act unbecomingly means it does not behave in an ill manner, with ill-mannered impropriety. That means it acts properly. It means it has manners. All right, so, and I thought this to myself. I'm like, God, do you want me to step out there and teach them that they should have manners? And he says, yes. Okay, I'm like, okay, I'll do what you want. It's not going to be the most exciting message in the world. But uh, what dawned on me here is why I started with the fact that it's not just manners. It's manners with love. When Jesus walked into a room of Pharisees, he behaved a certain way. When he walked into a room full of tax collectors and prostitutes, he behaved in a certain way. When he's with his disciples, he behaved in a certain way. When he's out in public, he did. When he's alone, he did. He always knew exactly what to do. And for when we look at him doing that, we marvel at it. He knew when to speak. He knew when to teach. Right? When he goes into Mary and Martha's house for the first time, and Mary sits at his feet and is listening to his teaching, and Martha's running around the house like a chicken with a head cut off trying to get dinner ready and she pretty much yells at Jesus tell Mary to help me and Jesus says Martha Martha <laughs> right but you think he said it like Martha Martha no he couldn't have said it like I'd be super funny but I doubt it he said Martha why because he cared it's not just saying the words. It's not just having manners. There's a skill level to it that is of the divine. The ability to do this, and we're always going to improve at it. We're never going to be perfect at it. So we have to keep reaching for that, which makes it even more exciting. My manners are going to be better and better and better as I, as I grow. Doesn't matter how old I am. It behaves proper in all, all, to all people in all circumstances. And when, when you throw in the all people, like I went, uh, Leonard and I rode our bikes through downtown Salem today. And some crazy homeless guy shouting obscenities somewhere in our direction uh, over uh, you know, on the side of the road. Well, it's not that we stopped and gave him the gospel. That would have been a great story, but... You know, like, what if it's that guy? 
Probably mentally ill, maybe drugged out. Who knows? Who knows? What about, I don't even know what his past is, what he's been through, what abuse he's faced, if he has or he hasn't. But if suddenly I'm faced with people of that part of society and I, I'm, I know it's God's will for me to communicate to them, what am I going to do? Turn my back? But you can. God's not going to stop you from doing that. I'd probably be scared out of my wits. That it's whoever is in your life. You don't have to go searching for this. You don't have to throw yourself into the homeless camp in downtown Salem and, and try it out, you know. Start at home. Start at work. Start at church. Start with the people that are right around you. Because, and then when you get skilled at it, good Lord, who knows where the Lord's going to send you. It's manners to all people in all circumstances with the Lord's nobility and integrity and virtue, with His wisdom, with His strength, with His courage. All wrapped up in that. This is appropriate to the Corinthians because the Corinthians had the I'm first church. That would have been a good name for their church. Saints, I'm first But agape doesn't elbow its way into any conversation or situation. It doesn't disrupt. It isn't discourteous. It isn't attention-seeking in any way because it doesn't seek itself. And that's the next one. So these are coupled together perfectly by Paul. Then agape does not seek its own. Now, some have thought, well, this means you've got to hang out with strangers. Uh, that's a, a literalness in a wrong way. It's, this literally says it's not preoccupied with the interests of self. It says love does not seek, and then it uses a pronoun, a reflexive pronoun that means itself. But it's actually feminine because agape is a feminine noun. In English, we don't have to deal with that. But in Greek, we do. And uh, agape is always feminine. So the pronoun is feminine. So you could actually say, it would probably be a little too far, but love does not seek herself. Doesn't seek itself. Doesn't seek its own. Doesn't act unbecomingly. Doesn't seek its own. Is not preoccupied with the interests of self. In Corinth, In contrast, in Corinth, the Corinthians say, I'm going to eat my food, my idol food. I don't care who's watching. I'm going to eat the Lord's Supper with my rich friends. I don't care about celebrating it with others. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to interrupt those speaking at church with my heavy revelations that I've got from God or speak in tongues over others. In other words, the whole world revolves around me. The whole church revolves around me. So we might say, and this, the, the, it's love does not seek itself. Right? I find that interesting. Love is the subject. It's not you don't seek yourself. It's love doesn't seek itself. I wonder if that's significant. So we might say, well, sure, love doesn't seek herself, but I do. And I would say, yeah, I understand. 
But we have to remember that we have this life as a gift from God. And therefore, the life loves. And so this has to be true of us. You, you and I have no choice. It has to be true of us. And it's not to elevate ourselves. Never. It's not so that other people will think well of you. We don't care about that at all. Actually, we would wish the opposite. It's not that. Don't mix. This. When I, as I go through this study, I will say it over and over because it's so easy for all of us to do is to mix agape with a humanistic eros love. It's too easy to do and start seeking yourself. Start imagining how self is going to gain or get ahead or get elevated or get promoted by the fact that you love and love is not about that. We must leave that. Will God reward and bless? The Lord said, yeah. But that, what it is, when it is, how much it is, that's all up to Him. You know, what if... What happened to the apostles? Say the apostle Paul, probably the hardest working Christian in the history of hardworking Christians. What happens to him? Death, martyrdom, prison, stranded at sea four times. And he loved it. I'm sure he didn't love the stranded at sea all the time, but, you know, just the whole thing. He said to me, and live is Christ. Dying is gain. I would love to go home, but I think he want, I know he wants me to stay and serve the churches. Either way, I'm the Lord's. What did Paul rejoice in? That he was the Lord's. He had nothing in this life. And he said, laid up for me is the crown of righteousness. <clears throat> so, Paul couples ill-mannered impropriety with not being would not preoccupied with the interests of self. This makes sense. So let's look at one example. I'm out of time here. I have more examples, but we'll rifle through them in Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 1. So, Paul states here that Gnosis, now we've already seen this, not to cram too much in here at the end, but Gnosis is a good thing. Knowledge, I mean. It's a very good thing. We need knowledge of Christ. We need knowledge of the Father. We need knowledge of the Bible. Uh, Our love actually grows by it. So, this knowledge grows our love. It matures our love. So if you remember from last time, 1 John chapter 2, John writes, We know that we know Him when we keep His commandments. And this knowing Him leads to a mature love. We know Him. We follow Him. It leads to our love maturing. And this makes perfect sense because as I get to know the One who is love, then the love that, I, that he's given me should mature. As knowledge adds to that love, the understanding and wisdom of what it is and how it's used and what it looks like, and I need to know all of that. 
But what if I hold on to my knowledge, and I have a lot of it, and I kind of throw my love aside? That's when the arrogance comes. That's when love puffs up. So he says it here, Roman, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Love builds up. That's the word edified means. It builds up of others, not self, others. The context is food sacrificed to idols. That Christians in the know, you had knowledge, it says, we know about the things concern, concerning idols that what? They're not real. So if you sacrificed an animal to a statue of Zeus or Apollo or whoever, and then you, then you took from it this beautiful filet mignon and, and I bought it from you, it has nothing to do with Zeus. That's just a piece of rock. So you have that knowledge. You said Paul said, yeah, you can eat things sacrificed to idols. Plus that meat was cheaper in the market. So, you know, it's on sale. But what about others who didn't know this or at least weren't convinced of it? And when they see you eating meat sacrificed to Zeus, they say to themselves, well, maybe Zeus is real because Christian over there is actually eating what was sacrificed to the idols. So, you know, maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's something to the idol. And for that reason or, or others, the conscience of that weak Christian becomes defiled. In other words, by your eating what you can legitimately eat, you have hurt your fellow believer. You have the right to eat. But the exorcism, and not exorcism, the exercise of that right damaged the life of another. So you had knowledge, bravo, but you had no love. And so Paul says, what? You have become arrogant. In this case, knowledge takes precedent over agape. And I've seen this, for you know, we, we don't have to deal with meat sacrifice to idols uh, we're, we're more concerned about the meat being injected with steroids and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's, so we're not dealing with that. But what I have seen and has occurred, and I've done it too, I've been guilty of it, is that I know the Word of God and I'm going to not sacrifice or stop doing what I'm doing in front of others. Why? Because I want to do it. And the, the justification is, well, you should know that. Now, I have the freedom to do this. I don't care if it's hurting you. You should know that. Why don't you know your Bible? Well, you, see, well, there's, you, sh- you shouldn't bow to them. They're weak believers. Where's my passage here? Romans 15.1 Now, we... Here it is. We who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. 
For as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I took the sins that you committed against others. The reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. Romans 15.1 So, what Paul is getting at here is the fact that if I hold on to my knowledge, my doctrine, and I don't do for others, then all my doctrine has done is make me arrogant. So Paul continues, look at verse 2. If, anything, if anyone, sorry, supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And known by him, generally, Paul means that you're a believer. And, and so if anyone loves God, you are a believer. Meaning, and what Paul getting at there is that if you're a lover of God, you should be a lover of others. Not just one who has knowledge and saying, I'm going to eat my steak because it's delicious. I don't care if you're watching. Or I'm going to drink that because I want to. And I don't care if you're watching. Or I'm going to go there and I don't care if you're watching. I'm going to do that. I'm going to say this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do what I do. And I don't care if it hurts others. And that is this ill-mannered impropriety and occupied with self rather than the interests of others. So just since we're here, 1 Corinthians 8.12, Paul says, skip down a few lines, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, please notice that they're weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Right? What's food? It's for, how's the Lord put it? Food is for the stomach. Uh, I can't remember. (laughs) He kind of makes the same, he makes the same arguments, the same thing. Food is for the, basically, food is eliminated. You know, I mean, that's where it's going. It's going into the, the waste dump. And uh, so why would you cause your brother to stumble for food? Now, that's Paul that says that. I don't think it's the Lord. All right, now I'm out of time. So the application is, is to not use, you know, don't act unbecomingly. Why? Well, because you have God's life and God's love. That's why. And when you do it, It's far, far above other religions. It's other human love because you're doing it with God's love. And God's love is noble. It has integrity. It has joy. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't consider itself. And no religion in the world has that besides Christianity. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for uh, all that you do for us by means of your love and have done through Christ our Lord. We ask, Father, that you bless the things that we've considered here today and read so that our hearts would be set free by your love so that we may serve others, that we may be not occupied with ourselves and live what you have made us to be. 
by your love. May we know by faith, Father, that we are this. And we're not earning it. It's there. It's ready to go. As we mix it with your knowledge and your word, by your spirit, we will love as you have loved. We ask in Christ's name, amen.